So we're up to uh, Jonah chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, if you're familiar with Jonah at this stage of the game, he has decided not to go to Nineveh, goes down to Joppa, gets in a ship, gets thrown in the water, fish swallows him. He has a revival, renewal in the belly of the fish. The fish vomits him up on uh, the shore, and he uh, takes up his mantle as a prophet. He goes to Nineveh 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, and lo and behold, the people from the greatest to the least hear and turn uh, from, as the text said last week, the violence that was in their hands. And as a result of that experience, he says, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, I, if you read the Old Testament, uh, there's a, there, there are two places in the Old Testament where prophets do their ministry, and as a result of their ministry, they want to die. Here's one. The other one is Elijah, where Elijah goes. Remember, he has the contest with the prophets of Baal, and he dumps all the water on his altar, and the, and the prophets of Baal, you know, cut themselves and dance around and all that kind of stuff, because whichever the real God is, is going to send fire down from heaven to consume what's on uh, the altar. Elijah, great humorist that he is, says of the prophets of Baal, of their God, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap. Who knows? Anyway, uh, God sends fire down from heaven, consumes Elijah's offering, but uh, Jezebel, the queen, gets mad at him and chases him off. And Elijah goes and says, God, kill me because I've been unfaithful and there's no one really in Israel who follows you. Just kill me. And God speaks words of comfort to him, just as we'll see. He speaks comforting, a comforting question uh, to Jonah. Jonah wants to kill himself because he's a success. So I, I, I just tell you that just so you can begin to get your brain around how messed up Jonah is, okay? <laughs> and so you can begin to see uh, a little bit of yourself uh, in Jonah as well. So uh, in light of that, let me pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll read the text. Lord, uh, we thank you today for this picture of grace. And Lord, I, I, I pray today for those of us who know a lot, who know the Bible in and out, but yet have missed you, have missed the uh, gospel of grace, and have uh, turned you into something you're not. So I pray today that you would help us, that you would comfort us, that you would be patient with us, and that as you humble us, Lord, you would only humble us to show us how great and magnificent, how wonderful, how powerful and life-giving your love is. Would you do that today? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So Jonah 4, verses 1 to 4, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is uh, God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, that is, that the Ninevites uh, turned, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is what I made, this, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, 
and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? As most of uh, you know, I think everybody in here probably knows this, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks uh, in, in D.C. and in uh, uh, New York City and the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. Um, it's been an odd 20 years. Uh, when I, hear, when I would hear my parents talk about what living through World War II was like and what we have lived through the last 20 years, not a lot of overlap. Um, so it, it's, it's just a very interesting thing to, to think about, a very, a very confusing thing, actually, in many ways. Uh, back in August, I came across an article in The Atlantic called What Bobby McIlvain Left Behind. Bobby McIlvain was in uh, one of the Twin Towers and died on 9-11. He was a young man, uh, just about to be engaged to uh, his sweetheart, uh, beloved by his mom and dad and his younger brother. And uh, there's an an in-depth article about what the grief and his death did to this group of people. And there's a whole lot in there, and it's, uh, it's if, if you, uh, I, I would, I recommend this article, not because it's particularly Christian, it's not, but it is a, one of the best things I've read uh, that shows you how disorienting and how awful grief is. Because these people, this family and this woman, are just undone in so many ways. But one of the things that you note in this is because of their pain and because of their suffering, each one of them individually, they end up offending each other and turning their backs on each other to some degree. All about, as it turns out, as they work through this 20 years later, about things that weren't real, that really, that were misinterpreted, misunderstood, relationships were broken and ended, and it's, uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty powerful picture of the fact that what happens to us often is we get offended at others, others who are maybe experiencing the same grace, uh, same grief and pain that we are experiencing, but it makes us unable to feel any kind of empathy or sympathy or kindness or even patience with the people who we perceive as sinners, as offenders. I have thought about this this week, um, and I thought about talking about this at the nine o'clock service, but I didn't have enough courage to talk about it then, but I think I do now. It's not unlike if you are someone who is vaccinated that you take delight a little bit or at the very least you feel a little self-righteous 
or a little better than someone else when you hear that they're unvaccinated and they get infected. Or you're committed to being unvaccinated and the delight you feel when someone else who is vaccinated gets infected. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking to anyone in this room because we're all better than that, <laughs> right? What, what, I, what, I'm, what I want you to understand is, as we think about that, that's not unlike what is happening with Jonah. As we've said before, the Ninevites, the Assyrian Empire, were awful. They were terrible human beings. They were oppressive, violent, wicked people. But notice what I said, human beings, with all that comes with that. Jonah begins to reveal to us in this chapter why it is he ran from the mission that God gave him. Because essentially, Jonah's gospel, Jonah's belief is grace for me, but not for thee. Grace for me, but not for thee. And the thee is whatever you might uh, think of yourself as. Maybe you're in the wrong tribe, maybe you're in the wrong party, maybe you're in the wrong church, maybe you're in the wrong race, maybe <laughs> whatever it is, right? This is hard. And, and I want to say at the very beginning, just before anybody thinks that I'm uh, uh, soft-peddling people's sin, Jonah preaches a hard message. He says, God will judge you. If you don't turn from the violence that's in your hands, you will be destroyed. So what, I'm not, what, I'm, what I want you to he understand at the very outset today as we unpack this, that, the, the, that there's, there is plenty of room uh, in our approach and our posture towards others that allows us, that in fact commands us to call sin, sin. And in love and grace and mercy to warn but we do it from the standpoint of someone who just shortly before this was in the belly of a fish because of my own sin and my own rebellion and my own unwillingness to obey the God who called me. I believe that Jonah was successful not because he was gifted, or not because he was great, but Jonah was successful because the grace of God that delivered him from the belly of the fish was still fresh on him. That people could, could there's a sense in which you could, you could sniff on him uh, 
that he had been near to God and that God's love was still kind of radiating from him even as he goes about with this message of warning. As I wrote in my letter on Wednesday, I went to a slaughterhouse on Wednesday, or on, on Tuesday, and, um, which I know is horrifying to many of you. Sorry, vegans, uh, but um, uh, it's, I, I used to get, I, I, I grew up around places like that as a kid, so it's, it's not horrifying to me. It's, it's anyway, um, enough about that. Don't think about that. What I want you to think about is what I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> What I want to tell you is, uh, as we were going, uh, there's some of the guys I was with are kind of in a conflict, and it was a good conflict with the people that run the slaughterhouse. And one of the guys in the car with me was plotting how he was going to handle this person when we got there. And we got there, and she's doing the paperwork, and she says, um, just so you know, uh, both of my in-laws died last week of COVID. Uh, and now I have also my four grandchildren live with me. And I won't be here tomorrow because I have to take them to the doctor and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And, and so all of a sudden, what was going to be a confrontation became an opportunity to say, well, we'll pray for you. And so by the time we got out of the office and got out to the chute where the, the cows were, she was soft and kind and gentle and very accommodating. Now, I don't know if that was because, I, I think it was because the aroma of Christ was in her office and it mellowed her and it softened her. And, it, and she also had a cigarette, which <laughs> when she went outside... Maybe God used that nicotine as well to, uh, to soften her up a little bit. I don't know. But it was, a, it was a very profound change. Grace for me, but not for thee. Right? So Jonah had great joy over his own deliverance, right? but contempt and, as the text says, hot anger with God over the deliverance of the Ninevites. Next slide. In fact, the word, the Hebrew word for uh, anger means hot. In fact, often uh, when it, the wrath of God is described in the Old Testament, it's like his nose gets hot. He gets, he gets furious. His face gets red. It's, a, it's an intense thing. This is not, not what he's getting at here is Jonah is livid. He, he is so angry. His blood pressure is through the ceiling. He is furious with God because God has not overthrown Nineveh. He hasn't, he hasn't done away with it. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, God was not angry, and God is not angry even at Jonah, but Jonah is furious with God. Now, this is not the kind of anger that, or, or the, the kind of grappling and lamenting before God of like, I don't understand, or help me come to grips with this, or, you know, God, God show me what it is that you're about. Jonah's not there. He, he, he's, he has no uncertainty whatsoever. He says, I knew you were like that. I knew you would be like this, right? His knowledge is sure, and his knowledge is certain. And you know what? He's right. That is how God is. 
But what happens to him is, as he, as he does this, is he, what is exposed is there is a deep gap between the heart of Jonah and the heart of God. And, and though God can bless and preserve and, and renew and restore his prophet, his prophet loses all sight, any, any kind of appreciation for the fact that God's grace was rich to him, but it should not be rich to his enemies, right? And so it's a, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it, this, this gap between God and Jonah is immense, but also notice, if you look in, in verses 2 and 3, Jonah refers to himself as I or my or me nine times in two verses. He's very focused on the compel most compelling thing in the world, which is himself. Jonah and I have so much in common. I, I look at him and I think, you know, I'm just like that. I, you know, I, I am concerned, you know, God, deliver me from the belly of the fish, but you can do whatever you want to with those others over there, particularly the people I don't like. Now, let me just stop here for a second and just say, this may, this may be hard uh, for some of us to kind of to grapple with because we think, I don't wish evil on anybody. Good. I, I, I am glad, I'm glad to hear that. And there's a difference between wishing frustration or uh, difficulty upon someone that is redemptive, that God would use that in a way to turn them towards himself. Uh, what I'm talking about is the kind of just dismissive, you are undeserving, you are terrible, and I want God to deal with you. In wrath, with no redemptive uh, end in mind. You, you probably don't think that way, but I'm betting that in the last week, you have heard or seen someone get blessed, someone get provided for, something good happen to somebody that you don't particularly care for and it made you unhappy, or perhaps you saw somebody that you don't like, that you don't care for, get suffer and it made you happy. You're in the ballpark now, okay? This, this, is, this is what I'm talking about. This, this is the kind of thing that makes us unable to see our enemies as created in the image of God, having worth and value and dignity, as, as God will remind Jonah next week, and that they, by virtue of that, uh, we should yearn and long to see the love of God and the grace of God have its way in their lives. Uh, the day we uh, were in the doctor's office late in Marty's pregnancy and we found out that our baby had died, we ran into that day before we went back to the doctors uh, to, the, to be examined, the, uh, a lady from our church who was nice enough to us when we saw her, spoke to us, uh, this was years ago, so it's nobody in this room. <laughs> and um, at the memorial service, she came up to us. I'm going to write a book about these kind of things someday. And she said, you know, when I walked out of the doctor's office, I prayed to God, God, Steve and Marty have it so easy. Would you bring some hardship into their lives? Right? I love her. You know, what an honest sister. 
right? So as we look at this, as we think about this, you know, that, that's exactly uh, what Jonah is getting at here. You know, he wants something bad to happen to the Ninevites, right? The other thing to notice here is that, that Jonah knows what God is like. He says, he says, I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster versus what the king of Nineveh says in chapter 3. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You see, what you have to understand about Jonah is Jonah doesn't misunderstand God. He understands him perfectly. Jonah has great theology. He, he knows the Old Testament. He knows the scriptures. He, he knows, the, he's, he's been taught well. He's like many of us, right? We live in a day and age where theological, biblical uh, uh, instruction, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's on the internet. It's in books. It's, it's everywhere. No generation of Christians anywhere, anytime has known more than we do. We know more. You may think we don't, but just imagine, what was church like when people couldn't read? What, what, was, what was church like when you had to have a stained glass window to, to tell you what the Bible said because you couldn't read it? We have so much information. Now, we look around and we think a lot of us are ignorant and that sort of stuff, and a lot of us probably don't avail ourselves very much of it, but by and large, we know a lot. But whenever there's a gap between what we know and if, if, what we, if what we know does not manifest itself in love, the Bible says you're a, 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 a tinkling cymbal and a clanging gong. You're of no value. In fact, you're worse than of no value. So, so what, what, what's happening here is, is that Jonah has a problem, next slide please, AJ, with uh, the character of God right? Because in Jonah's world, he wants God to be more balanced. But you see, the God that's revealed in the scripture is not balanced. Now, you might pick a bone with me about this. That's okay. Uh, the fact of the matter is, God's character is demonstrated to us in the Bible certainly as just and certainly exercising his wrath on sin. But the emphasis of what we know about God, the emphasis of what is revealed about him, the emphasis that is what is true about him is that he is a God of grace and mercy, that he's out of balance, right? When, when Jonah says those words about God, that he knew he was a gracious God relenting from disaster, he's quoting from Exodus chapter 34. When God passes in front of Moses, it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, thousands. Some texts read that as a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on, on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's not balance. His emphasis on grace is to thousands, a thousand generations. That, that's who, he, he's out of balance. Now, he is a God of, of justice, no doubt. The cross doesn't make any sense without wrath, without justice. But what you have to see, what Jonah has to see, what we have to see today is the character of the God that we're talking about is, is weighted very heavily towards grace and mercy. 
If God were simply, uh, 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 you know, just balancing it out here, Jonah would be dead because Jonah knows better. Jonah is a prophet. Jonah hears the word of God. Jonah has been successful in Israel before this, and he rebels against God. He runs from what God says to him. His sin is worse. He knows better. And so, yet, grace for me, but not for thee. Now, I don't know what his basis of thinking that he deserves grace is. I don't, I don't know if it's his racial uh, makeup. I don't know if it's the fact that he's, you know, that he's, he knows so much. I don't know if it's because he's an Israelite. I don't, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, it's not founded first and foremost in the love and the grace of God for sinners as himself a sinner. He's come a long way from the guy who was praying in the belly of the fish. Uh, and it's not, it's not great. Next slide. So this is the thing, you see, that we have to, to unpack about this, that Jonah knows this about God, and yet it doesn't affect how he loves, what he knows about God, what he knows about the character of God, what he knows to be true about him, somehow or other is not shaping his character, is not shaping how he loves, not shaping who he loves. It's reminding him that God loves him, but he's lacking the ability to see and to understand that this love is great uh, and that it is for the worst among us. When you read the Bible, does it just confirm what you already thought? Tim Keller says this, and I think this is a good thing for us to think about, about our knowledge. In other words, if we feel more righteous as we read the Bible, we're misreading it. We are missing its central message. We are reading and using the Bible rightly only when it humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. I've used this example before, but you know, you're, you're, it's problematic when you read the Bible and you think, you know what, I need Fred to read that. Or, or like when folks will come up to me and say, I wish my husband had been here today. He needed that. <laughs> right? So Jonah's not battling, he's battling not the Ninevites, but the Lord. He is, he's fighting his plan. He's critiquing God's will, and Jonah finds God unwise. He thinks that what he's doing there is, is, is problematic, that he would be gracious and merciful to these people who are oppressors. At some point in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, I believe you kind of have to have this experience that Jonah has. I believe that. I think at some point in your following after Jesus that the grace of God has to be so big that you have to have a sense of how scandalous it is. I've thought a lot over the last 18 months about Jesus on the cross, bearing the wrath of sin, being mocked and spit upon and beaten, turning to the criminal next to him and telling him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because that criminal, whatever the content of his faith was, whatever his repentance was, Jesus received it. 
And I've wondered, what if you were in the crowd that day and that criminal had murdered your grandmother? What would you think? I, I, I say this this morning because I, I want us to come to grips with the fact that the mercy and the grace of God demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ is no respecter of persons. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and in fact, uh, it reaches to the deepest, darkest place. But it also reaches to the highest place where we think we are. And that it is good news for us uh, to have this work of God come to us to take us and to challenge what we know about God and challenge who we love and how we love. As we come uh, to the table today, one of the great things about the table of the Lord is that it is um, a place where we all come together and not one of us is better than another. That as we come to the table, we all are confessing that we're sinners in need of grace. The best of you, the worst of you, um, Jesus extends to us, makes available to us today his grace and his mercy, uh, and he renews us as we come to him today confessing our sins. Let's say these words of institution. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ is Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's confess our sins together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you unworthy of your grace. We have forfeited your love and peace. We are restless sinners. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Too often have we chosen the fruit over the garden. Too often have we bowed down to the golden calf. Too often have we begged for a sign. Too often have we declared Caesar to be Lord. Too often have we demanded to see the wounds in your hands. Too often have we substituted our image of you for you. Too often have we neglected your call to be salt and light. Too often have we reduced Christianity to a moral code. Too often have we forgotten Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Too often have we acted on sight and not on faith. Lord, have mercy upon us. Grant us your peace.
Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So the Bible tells us